Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And that's a big topic because there's so much... In the kingdom of God, you're, the kingdom of God is not necessarily the universe itself. The universe is ruled by God. God has set it into motion. Whatever God is, you want to define it down into, you know, some people call him Allah, some people call him Yahweh, Yadavah, and they have all kinds of different names, and then they have all kinds of different images of God, uh, both the carved images out of wood and stone, but also... Uh, Images of God carved in their own minds. And of course, when they talk about graven images, they're talking about images that you make up out of your personal tree of knowledge as to what you think God is. And we're just not smart enough to know what God is. But we can define them down into general principles. You know, God is truth. God is reality. God is uh, the creator. So we're defining them with these little terms, but we're not limiting them because our terms are not infinite. They don't they don't cover every aspect of whatever God is, whatever this concept of God is. But people are always trying to put God into a you know into a box or into a bottle like a genie where they, they fit him into an image that they create in their own mind. And whatever God is, God's probably more than that because we're pretty finite creatures. We just cannot grasp whatever God is all all the way. But the kingdom of God is the right to be ruled by God because when God set the universe into motion, he gave free will. Now, there's actually whole religious doctrines that people have created and, and a mishmash of doctrines, you know, like we don't really have any free will, we, that we're somehow just a bunch of sock puppets that uh, God created. And we have, you know, we're predestined. You know, they, they take this predestiny phrase that you find in the Bible and uh, they they create a whole doctrine in their minds that we don't have any choice. And I thought, what a what a simplistic way to take yourself off the hook. It's not your fault. You're predestined. You don't have any control. Oh, we have no. But that's not really the message you see throughout the Bible. So you, in order to hold on to that doctrine, and you find it amongst people who call themselves Calvinists, you find it amongst people who won't call themselves Calvinists, is that you're predestined. You don't have any control. You don't really make any choices that God has already chosen and you're predestined. And, uh, you know, that they, the reason that doctrine, there's a couple of reasons why that doctrine is attractive to people, but it really often comes down to the fact that it's, it's letting them off the hook. You know, they're, they're not making choices. They're predestined. They're, they're not ha- having any kind of a choice. At all. And then there are the people who, you know, you go to the other extreme. There is no God. Uh, everything is choice. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not controlled by anything. And, uh, you know, I'm just 
me. But then they let themselves off the hook. Eventually, they want to let themselves off the hook uh, of being responsible for who they are because they're just, you know, product of uh, coincidences in chemistry. <laughs> you know, they they've just evolved. Uh, you know, like amoeba, amoebas out of the primal slime and they're just complex creatures. And, uh, but they, they're, they're just the result of, uh, environment and, and heredity and all these things that have gone on before and we've created ourselves out of nothing. And it's just, uh, all, a, a system of random, uh, events. And so, in in a sense they have no choice either they're just they're just a victim of circumstance uh, circumstances of the natural forces of creation that are just operating in the universe that really doesn't hold much water either but that's a very popular with a lot of people who want to call themselves uh atheists non-believers in god when you actually go back in history and start looking at mankind you know, I just was talking to somebody the other day. I really don't think there's much difference between prehistoric man and man today. Uh, we are we are fairly the same in the essence of our creation. Now, now obviously the the environment of our society and the things that are going on is altering men to some degree. But the basic foundational concept of mankind really hasn't changed that much over the you know, last 5,000 years or 6,000 years of, you know, you know, when I talk about prehistory or prehistoric, uh, prehistoric where? Because there's large areas of the world where we have very little knowledge of the history there. And it might, our history might go back only 100 or 200 years, maybe a 1,000 years at the most. And so everything in that area before what we know about that area is prehistoric in that area. So we have prehistoric areas of the earth and cultures, you know, that go back just a few thousand years. So prehistoric is just, you know, in the last anywhere between two to five thousand, six thousand years. The fact that you know a little bit about Roman history, and there are people who actually challenge that, that we don't know anything about it, Roman history, that all that we know about history is just made up. I mean, there's no end to the delusion that people can fabricate for themselves once they start creating an image of, uh, the bold image of God or the world or history or science. But the reality is, is, you know, you can imagine you're flying after you're jumping off a building, but eventually the sidewalk may wake you up to reality. And so... You know, what we want to engage in is the truth. We want to face reality. We want to face the truth and uh, not be carried away by our delusion or by anybody else's delusion. So when I talk to you on these shows every week, I'm trying to share with you what I perceive. And I'm out in the desert most of the time. I deal with uh, lots and lots of people from lots and lots of places around the world. I get calls from all over, and people want to tell me their image of the truth, their the, the imagined perception of reality. And of course, you can say my perception of reality is also imagined by me. 
And maybe it is. And that's constantly the challenge. What am I seeing that is real? And what am I seeing that is just imaginary? You know, it's I'm just filling in the blanks. You know, it's like you... Everybody has a certain amount of peripheral vision, just about everybody. There are some people who have lost peripheral vision. But supposedly, out there, if you run your finger out to the right of your eye and you're looking at it, there's a blind spot out there. And then it becomes visible again as you get a little bit farther out because there's a little area of your eye that you don't actually see with. And so it's over there on the side, and when you're driving, that can be very dangerous because you don't actually see what's there. Uh, but your brain is filling in that gap based on what, you know, it just saw as you were turning your head or uh, you're flicking your eye around. It fills in that gap, so you don't really look out and see that blind spot. And we do that with our imagination about the reality around us and what we smell, taste, feel, uh, or see. Uh, we, there's a lot of blank spots. There's a lot of things we don't see. There's a lot of things we don't, uh, sense or feel. And so we fill in those blank spots. And so when we look out in the world, we see you know, you can go into a room and you say, well, there's a chair there and there's a couch there and there's a table there. You kind of orient yourself and then you close your eyes and you try to walk through the room without hitting the table, the chair, and the, the couch and, and follow this path, uh, this maze through the furniture in a room. Uh, but you're basing your your journey through that room on your memory of what you perceived was there. You're no longer receiving that information as to where everything is at. Recalling that picture, you navigate through the room. Well, that ability to draw that picture of what is in a given place at a given time, in a given moment, in relationship to you, that is really what imagination is. It is the ability to create a virtual reality in your mind based on the information that has come to you when you first walked into the room and looked and saw where everything is. Is that, you know, a blind person, uh, you know, you don't move the furniture around in a blind person's apartment. He's memorized where everything is at. He's gone around and through the senses that he does have because he doesn't see and he's felt, well, here's a chair, and over here's a table, and he memorizes where these things are. He no longer sees them, but he walks around in the room. And some blind people can actually navigate with sound. As they move around, they can they can hear uh, sounds changing, and they know uh, they've come into another room, or they they've uh, you know they're closer to the wall. Uh, because the sound changes as you're, you get closer to the wall. And they actually have uh, deals now where they, they can have a little earphone in the ear of a, a blind person. And uh, it he has a little thing on his front of his clothes that is sending out a signal. And it bounces, the sound bounces back and it's just a little ticking noise. And uh, he can tell when he's coming to an object or when he's facing you know a wall or whatever or there's somebody in front of them because of the way in which the sound changes now it's it's a little tricky to use but some people have gotten pretty good at using it but again he's using other senses that he 
didn't have, you know, it doesn't have sight. So he uses other senses, uh, the white cane. Now that's using the sense of feel, because he touches, but it's also using that tapping noise that that cane makes, you know, because he can tell, you know, is he walking on cement? Is he walking on grass? Is he going to be going on, you know, clay? Uh, like he's going off the road or whatever. And there, he feels objects out in front of him. And so that that's telling him how he's navigating because he's using the, the sense of feel and sound in order to navigate with the use of the white cane. So anyway, why all that analogy is, is because you look out in the world, you're using your sight, uh, your ability to hear, your ability to feel, touch, smell, and you are getting information about the world, about history, about relationships with other people. Uh, you know, you're, you're reading their face, their, their expressions, uh, when you talk with them, when you come around them, and it's, it's telling you all kinds of stuff because you're reading not just what they say, but the way in which the, their demeanor and how they act, and that's telling you about that person. All this information coming in is forming an image of that person in your mind. What they look like. And, uh, and people aren't always, uh, people are sometimes very good at hiding the truth about what they really feel. Who they really are. I mean, that's why there's a billion dollar makeup business, uh, industry in the world today is because people are disguising who they are with makeup. You know, they're making themselves look different. Uh, they put on clothes, suits, uh, they comb their hair, they put on, uh, uh, eyeshadow if, uh, hopefully we're talking about a woman or, or lipstick, although why, why should I make such a sexist statement? It doesn't have to be a woman, but, uh, the reality is that people are creating an image of themselves that they look a certain way. And that's to present themselves differently than they are without all that stuff that they're adding in. And it's to help create an image in your mind as to who they are. And uh, what they say, the way they say it. I mean, this is what politicians do all the time. They, they, they're projecting an image, trying to convince people, vote for me. And so that image that you see may not be real. You know, and I always remember growing up that I saw uh, John F. Kennedy running for office and as president and everything. And you wouldn't have known that he was a chain smoker of cigars. He he would light the next cigar with the last cigar. He was constantly smoking cigars. Well, I never saw him with a cigar. How could a man who's out in the public has camera people going around him all the time and uh, you don't even see it burning on his desk, you know, you don't see some cigar smoke in the room. It's because for some reason the media just was treating him uh, kindly. They they liked that. Uh, it was popular in the media to do so. So the, when he was puffing on a cigar, they never took pictures. They just didn't do it. Uh, they they when they were going to take pictures, they, they they would remove the cigar from the picture. So that you wouldn't see. They didn't Photoshop it out. They just took the time. Because they were a part of that image making. And they just chose to do that. Because he was popular with the press. And so the. You know. It's it's a little dishonest. But the, they. You know. It didn't seem. 
was important, so they did it. But in reality is, is you know, uh, it's changing. They're, they're fiddling with the image of John F. Kennedy. And it was the Kennedy-Nixon election where people realized how powerful TV was. The images that you presented on TV uh, was powerful. And that's partly why the media treated him so well, as he was, he was good on TV. He was good on that, uh, and so that, that's what they were trying to make their news reports look good, and he looked good, so they did lots of news reports about him, and they, they airbrushed a reality around, uh, Kennedy that just didn't exist. Not, nothing to do with his politics, just to the image in your mind, because the image in your mind is going to either make you feel comfortable about Kennedy or not. And if you feel comfortable on him, you're likely to vote for him. Because the American voter doesn't really sit and pour over the policies and record of the individuals uh, to try to figure out who is really best equipped. They go by feeling. They go by, and this is how they pick their churches. They go by feeling. Did I feel good at that church? And to some degree, that feeling can be good, but what is controlling that feeling? What are the influences of that feeling? Go back to, you know, women wearing makeup and certain kind of clothing and and uh, hairstyles and everything to to look uh, attractive, to look pleasing, to give you a feeling of comfort, and that creates popularity for them in your mind, in your attitude, in the way you treat them. Well, God's not going around putting on makeup. He's not trying to create an image of himself. God is who he is. I am what I am. And, But our perception of God is not usually based on sight and sound because we don't actually see him or hear him. And, you know, we don't hear his voice coming to us. But the reality is we do see and hear him in his creation, in what he has created. If if God is the creator, if he is whatever, whatever thing put creation into motion, if that's him, then we can get a little bit of understanding of him by looking at nature. If we, as individuals, which the Bible says are created in his image, then looking at us can give us some insight into who God is and, and and what God is. It's not going to give us a clear picture because it's too big a picture for us to take in. But it will give us some sort of idea. And Jesus talks about that. You know, how come you can't... You can read the signs in the sky, but you can't read the signs of the times. And uh, And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But then there were a lot of people that saw Jesus physically but did not understand Jesus because they didn't really see Jesus. They saw an image of Jesus. They were literally projecting. And people do this about people you know, people you meet. You project into that person an identity based on what your eyes see. You know, like you see a, a, a nice girl who... And I'm, I'm speaking about this from the point of view of a man. She seems nice. Uh, she seems clean. She she seems neat in, in her, uh, the way she presents herself. She has good manners. 
you think she's a nice girl because of all these things that you see. But you don't really see her heart. She could be a, a, a sneaky, wicked, conniving uh, individual who's plotting your very death. You don't know. I mean, she's probably not, but or plotting somebody's death. Uh, because you, you have a limited view of her. You have, you know, you look for these things when you look at her, but you can't see into her soul. Now, they say the eyes are the window of the soul, but I don't know if people can really see into the eyes of the individual. And and you go out and meet lots of people. I meet lots of people all the time. Um, and, you know, over my life, I've met lots and lots of people. And so you get a certain feel for people, not just based on sight and sound and and touch and and interaction, but there's something else. There are other things you see with. You know, can you see with spiritual eyes into the heart and mind and soul of other people? You know, the evil, the Satan, all these other, you know, the devil, all these other things that we create, uh, you know, or we draw from the text of the scriptures, uh, whatever they are, they are almost always equated with the idea of deception. They can appear as an angel of light. They can appear as good things. And of course we see politicians out often trying to appear as one thing and then we find out some scandalous story that they're actually something else completely different. That they're, you know, that they're, you know, they're, they're out there fighting for women's rights and they actually beat their wife and cheat on their wife and, and you, and, and, or maybe the, you know, you have a priest and that's recently in the news. Where priests are, you know, so holy and uh, servants of God and and uh, servants of the people, and uh, you know they've dedicated their life to God, and then you find out that they have, you know, a child abuse slave uh, relationship with hundreds, maybe even thousands of people, and cover-ups and and uh, horrible, horrible abuses. But everybody thought they were such great guys. I mean, you had to. John Wayne Casey, or Gacy, um, was found with, what, 23 bodies of children buried underneath his house. And everybody thought he was such a great kid. He would play clowns at parties, and he would go out and do charitable work, and, you know, meet with the, the uh, president's wife, and uh, she thought he was a wonderful guy, and all this stuff. And he was heinously murdering people, uh, children, capturing them, torturing them, and then after they were dead, he buried them underneath his house. And those are just the ones that he buried under the house. Uh, there's a belief that there were many, many more that he dumped into rivers and, you know, out into landfills and everything. And, and uh, he was just a the most heinous of uh, murderers. But people saw him every day, and they thought he was a great guy. They had no idea who they were looking at. Uh, yet there he was. So, are we deceived about people, about religion, about the Holy Scriptures, about life in general? Uh, we certainly can be. So, how do we know when we're not being deceived? That's the big question. We'll talk about that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we were talking about deception. Seeing things as they really are. Seeing. Uh, so, what is the one thing 
we should start on taking a look at that uh, we might have a ghost of a chance of seeing clearly, seeing without deception. And I think in itself, that one thing is not enough. That you have to go out in the world and challenge your vision of what you're looking at. But the one thing that you can look at probably closer than anything else is you. You know, you you look out at other people and you kind of judge their motivations. Or what what are they really up to? Uh, are, are they a uh, a cigar smoking, manipulative, womanizing politician, <laughs> or are they really a great guy? <laughs> so you 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 look at what you can see and try to figure that out. Uh, but you can't see everything. You can't be with them all the time. I was just talking to people uh, about homeschooling. They come from a country where homeschooling is illegal. If you if you don't homeschool, if you try to homeschool your children, you will go to jail. Uh, in the same country, if you don't get the the so the you know the people's social number, whatever it is, social security number in that country, if you don't get one for your child, you will be arrested. It's a criminal offense to not get your children numbered. Uh, so, you know, they have different perspective on things. Uh, they, they come from another reality. Their country is different than our country. So, when you go out and you see how other people are dealing with the things of life in, in these other countries, you can make a contrast with your own. And you may say, well, we're a freer country because we don't do this, 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 and this. But when you're looking at yourself, how closely are you really looking at yourself? How honest are you in you really look at yourself? And of course, if we go back to the scriptures and we look at the scriptures, the dishonesty, when we look at ourselves, what we do, what we think, the way we think, the dishonesty of our perception of us as an individual is where all the trouble started. You know, Adam was given a whole universe of, you know, a world, a garden uh, to live in. He had dominion over all kinds of things. And he, but he was restricted. There was some instruction you know, I, I, one of my trick questions is, what was the first commandment of God? And people, you know, I am the Lord of that God. You know, da, da. But the actual first commandment that we have from God is, dress it and keep it. You know, here's the garden. Here's the planet. Dress it and keep it. Take care of it and keep it. So that you keep your dominion. Don't give your dominion away. To somebody else to make the, this responsibility that I give you, uh, null and void. I am giving you something that you are to be responsible. That's a job. Dress it and keep it. And so that's the first commandment of God. Then he said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but eat of the tree of life. So there's at least two trees. I assume there's lots of other trees, but those two trees, which are actually metaphors representing uh, something, 
you know, I can go into that. We have, but uh, just for the this conversation, those two trees, one is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The other one is the tree of life. You're not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're to eat of the tree of life. And of course, you know, one of the ways to perceive the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is your brain. Your, your conscious brain, the, the mechanical brain that, you know, draws that picture of the room with your eyes and then with that imaginary picture in your head, you can close your eyes and navigate around the room. You're doing that with your brain. Yeah, what you remember, what you're taught in school, you, you memorize it and you remember, oh, this, this in history and this in chemistry and this in, in, uh, trigonometry. And with that information you memorize, you can use that information as a tool to go out and solve problems. But that's your brain doing that. That's the tree of knowledge. And it's there. You can use it, but not as a source, not to eat, not to uh, guide you. Uh, you need something else, this tree of life. And so what's the tree of life? Uh Life is, uh, the, the word we see there for life is, uh, the, the same word for breath. It's, it's your, it's almost, you know, if you're breathing, you're conscious. When you stop breathing, you're gonna be unconscious. So breath and consciousness are, are connected, but you have this tree of life that you're supposed to eat from. So your consciousness is not supposed to be entirely dependent Upon knowledge, information, your senses. It's supposed to be also tapping into this tree of life, this tree of consciousness, this tree of awareness, this tree that cometh of God. And, and that is also a source, uh, of information because it helps you decipher the information. When you receive information, you can say, well, this is valuable to know. You can say, this is not valuable to know. And so you categorize your information and you're giving, you're empowering information. This is really important. This is not really important. And this is what we see today on the, on the social media networks when they talk about politics. You have, you know, if, uh, to some people, if Trump says it, or it comes out of the, or they think Trump says it, it's bad. You know, and there's been all kinds of guys that go out and talk to people on the street and they say, well, what do you think of Trump's policy? And then they tell them, and they're actually naming off Obama's policies. They're not naming off Trump's policies. And they think, oh, that's terrible, that's terrible, that's terrible. Then they can go out to the same kind of people and they can say, well, what do you think of Obama's policy? And they're actually telling them Trump's policies or what he says. And they say, well, I think that makes sense and that's really good. And uh, because they've already decided that they're comfortable with Obama. This is back in the election. And they're not comfortable with Trump. Well, they decided they're not comfortable with Trump based on what they've received, the information they've received about Trump, what they saw, what they hear, or what they were told about Trump, which is usually the case. You know, and I, talking to people who are looking at European media all the time, they, they have an impression of Trump, 
based on what they are getting in the news. They never see him. They never walk with him. They never talk with him. I actually have a, a neighbor who's uh, uh, has relatives that have been working for uh, Trump in his private capacity in his home for years. And they think he's great. They think he's the most polite guy, most considerate employer. You know, they just have nothing but praise for him. Of course, they're looking at him from the point of the fact that I want this job, but they seem that the picture that you get from what they say about him and what CNN says about him are completely different <laughs> images. <laughs> they're completely different. And I'm not defending or, or, you know, I don't want to be defending the President of the United States. I'm just using that as an example so that you can take a look. I'm sure we, we could talk about your family and find people that have an image in your family based on somebody in your family who doesn't like him. And then you may have an image in your family of somebody who thinks he was really great because he's always been fair with them. And, but I don't know your family. This is somebody who's out there in the public eye and a lot of people see him and, and, and see things about him. But the reality is, is that we draw this image based on the information or whether the information is true or not. And we accept the information because we put value on it as it comes in. If you trust everything that CNN says, then what CNN says is the truth. And then you you create your image based on that. If you trust what Fox News says, then your image of the truth that you create in your mind will be based on Fox News. And you will have whole sections of the population, one following CNN, I'm just using them as an example, and the other one following Fox, because they've already decided they have a uh, preconceived notion that they're getting the truth from this news source and not getting it from that so source. So they're at the outcome of their of the facts that they receive or the, what is posing as facts that they receive will be based on their preconceived notion. They will have predestined their determination as to what is true and what is false. Of what is good and what is evil. And so, if they've accepted this source of knowledge, this tree of the media, this, you know, whether it's CNN or ABC or NBC, or they've accepted Fox or, or NPR or whatever, whatever these they're accepting as a source of information, that will determine predetermine the outcome of their perception of reality, the image of reality that they create in their own mind. So anyway, let's go back to that one thing that you can take a look at without looking at it uh, through the eyes of the media, uh, is you can look at you. You can look at your own deal. And when Adam was in the garden, he said... Uh, that you know, when he was confronted with the fact that he had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, tried to decide for himself what was right, what was wrong, what was true, what was false. He just started putting value on information as if uh, this was more valuable or that was more value as a personal choice based on his intellect. That was eating of the tree of knowledge. And that that awakened him to the fact that he doesn't know everything. He's naked. 
You know, the word naked has to do with authority. Even the, the word serpent is connected with the word naked. And being naked is without dominion. And you have dominion, but you have to eat of the tree of life to have that dominion. You can't just imagine, you know, the old comedy routine where, you know, mind over matter and, and you just have to think through the board. It was Bill Cosby. You think through the board and then you can break the board and you're learning karate. And then he tells, you know, in his comedy routine that suddenly the board was thinking, uh, no, you're not going to break me. And so then he shattered his hand and his arm and all this stuff. It's a funny routine, but the reality is the board doesn't think. <laughs> so, But when you go out there in the world and you deal with other people, you can imagine that somebody loves you or somebody cares about you, but they may not. Because they, they, they may present the idea that they care care about you, but they may be trying to take you for everything you've got. They may be trying to con you. And I've seen recently, or fairly recently, somebody who's gotten mixed up with somebody who I know is a natural con. He's just, he's addicted to conning people. And uh, deception is just a part of his personality. He he doesn't even decide to deceive people anymore because he's so self-deceived. He just walks around in that deception. And that's not that rare. Almost everybody is subject to such a thing. Uh to one degree or another, but he, he is, he's betrayed individual after individual. He betrays himself and, and he just is walking in case of disaster. And, uh, and I hope he overcomes that someday, but he has to take a look at himself to overcome that. If you want your faults, your weaknesses, your, uh, your, uh, uh, your character flaws to go away, you have to look at them. You have to admit them. You have to admit that that you have a problem. That you have shortcomings. That you have failings. And then you can deal with them and they can actually, you can get better. And you, you don't have to be swept away by these compulsions that are in you. You know, most people, most people who are, uh, you know, uh, I hate to say that, end up thinking that they're homosexual, have been traumatized sexually, sometimes by another homosexual or sometimes by just abusive parents or, or, or friends, uh, that uh, are not really all that friendly. Maybe they were abused by somebody else, but I mean, you, you, this is where you see people like Jeffrey Dahmer and John Wayne Casey and stuff like that. If you go back in their life, you find trauma in there. Where they were somehow abused, and then they go back and they abuse others. You know, somebody blows their top at you and gets angry with you, and then you blow your top at somebody else. It's like you have to pass it on. And the reason you have this compulsion to pass on this, you know, uh, trauma to somebody else and traumatize another kid like you were traumatized, and you're just drawn to it. You you can't. You know, like Jeffrey Dahmer would feel guilty after he killed somebody, but then he would go back and do it again. You know, he'd feel bad, he'd feel remorse. But see, feeling remorse and feeling bad is not what will cure you. It's not what will fix the problem. It's about forgiveness. This is why forgiveness is mentioned so much, because that can break the chains 
which bind you to return to that action. I'm sure a lot of you, you know, maybe you have, you may have a problem with eating. You, you may have a problem with, uh, uh, pornography. Yeah, you may have a problem with anger issues where you, you know, you get real angry and even violent. Maybe your wife beat her. Maybe you beat your kids. And then the stories are rampant in our history as mankind of abuse of others. And it's usually because somewhere back we were abused. But it wasn't just, we're not automatically victimized by that abuse. But if we don't forgive and forgive everybody connected with that abuse, you know, if your father beats you and your mother lets him, then you're going to hate your mother. Uh, you'll hate your father, but you also hate your mother because she didn't do anything to protect you. You know, if your wicked stepmother abused you and your father didn't do anything about it, then you'll hate your father. I remember a family back east. Everybody just, they they never understood their father. They they walked on pins and needles around. They thought they respected him. But it was all because they didn't, because their their stepmother was abusive, you know, or at least emotionally abusive. And so it, it created a rift between them and their father. They didn't know who their father was because they could not forgive their stepmother. So going back to Adam, Adam ate of the tree of knowledge, tried to evaluate the truth himself to decide what was good and evil, what was right and wrong. This He was not supposed to do this. This opened the eyes to the fact that he is weak and naked and without power to make such decisions himself. He is not God. Uh, and that he should have continued to eat of the tree of life. But he didn't. But he didn't want to admit that he did wrong. So when God confronts him, he says, The woman you gave me, gave me of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to eat. He didn't say, I did wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I've betrayed you. I'm sorry. I regret it. Forgive me. I am a, I am a terrible, ungrateful creation. Uh, and I am in need of your mercy and pity and, and, and forgiveness. He didn't say that. He says, the woman you gave me tempted me. You know, he didn't take responsibility. And so right there you saw he not only had trauma, he, he didn't, wasn't willing to admit the truth about himself. So therefore he couldn't really forgive the person that he needed to forgive because he wouldn't admit that the person that betrayed him was him. <laughs> you know, he wanted to blame it on the woman and blame it on the God who gave him the woman. That's what you do all the time. So, you know, just in the last week, I've seen it time and time again. People try to, they look out in the world and they see their present circumstances and they 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 admit that we don't live in a free country. You know, we're freer than the country that arrests you if you don't get a number for your kids. We're freer than the country that arrests you, uh, at least in the sense of uh, ed- home education, if you get arrested, if you try to homeschool your kids. So we're freer in that aspect. In other aspects, we're not freer, probably. But the reality is, is that if you don't want to admit that you're not free, 
I mean, if, if you, if you have to work and give up, you know, if you're working for nothing, if you have to work for nothing, you have to labor for nothing, you get nothing back for your labor, you're a slave. A lot of people don't realize that during slavery in America, many slaves were paid. They just weren't paid full amount for their labor. And they couldn't necessarily negotiate what they were paid. They were forced to work and they did not receive pay. They received, you know, uh, room and board, lodging. Uh, They they received medical care. I mean, nobody who had a slave wanted to see the slave die unless he was just foolish because that slave was of value to him. And they wanted to keep the slave a happy worker is a better worker. So they, and a lot of the slaves wouldn't leave when people came and set them free. Because they liked their lot. They were well taken care of. They were well fed. They, they had a decent housing. They weren't beat. Uh, they were, you know, most slaves weren't on these big laborious plantations. They lived with the family, ate with the family. Uh, when they got sick, the family brought them broth. Uh, they were a part of the family. That's what most slavery was. Uh, but it still was slavery. They wouldn't, they, they didn't own their labor entirely. They were compensated, but maybe they weren't compensated entirely because they did not own their labor. Their labor belonged to somebody else. If you have to work and part of your paycheck is gone when they give you your paycheck, Somebody has taken it out before you get your paycheck. Then you're a slave. For at least part of the day, you're a slave. And so, since that's the case in almost every country in the world, that if you have a number in that country, I mentioned Santo Domingo as an example, they have a Seshula number, that's what they call it, Seshula, uh, If you have that number, a portion of your wages is taken out and goes to the government. If you don't have a Seshula number and you're working for somebody, you get to keep all of your wages. You might not be paid as much because you don't have any protections of the government, but you get to keep it all. There's no way to take it out because if they take money out of your wages, uh, at least to send to the government, they have to have a number attached to you, and that's the Seshula number. So... But generally speaking, most everybody in Santo Domingo has a Seshula. And that's also how you get into schools. That's how you get benefits from the government. But you're, you have to work without labor because you're a slave. You're not, you're in a system of servitude where you have to work without labor. When you were in bondage in Egypt, 20% of your labor belonged to the Pharaoh. So you had to work for the Pharaoh 20% of the time. And so if you work today for McDonald's or for Rocketdyne or any major corporation or any company or small company, a portion of your labor goes out. You're a slave for that time. You're working for nothing. It goes to the government. Now, people don't like to talk about that, but that's just the case. I'm not saying anything bad or good about it. It's just the way it is. We're dealing with the reality. You want to know reality or not, you have to see that. Well, there's a lot more to reality than that that makes you a slave. 
Because if you don't forgive others, you can be a slave to the emotions that have been planted in you by your trauma with others. And you will find yourself doing the same thing to other people that was done to you. And if you find yourself doing that, it's because you haven't forgiven somebody. So you remain attached to the spirit that they put into you when they traumatized you. And you will repeat that. So again, if Adam were to admit, this is why Jesus says, you know, here's the publican, tax collector. His prayer is, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. He's admitting his fault. He's admitting his error. And Jesus says, he's going to enter the kingdom sooner than the Pharisee who is saying, I've done these good things. So now we have we have one of the philosophies or theologies or images of God we have now going around as a doctrine of Jesus Christ is that you are not saved by works. Which is absolutely true. You're never saved by works. But works are evidence of what's going on. If if you're like Jeffrey Dahmer going out and killing people or if you're just losing your temper with your children or you're abusing your wife or instead of talking with her, you're calling her names, you know, uh, and yelling and screaming at her, or vice versa. She's yelling and screaming at you. You're not, you're somewhere you're not dealing with reality. The reality of you. You're not, you're not, you're unable to forgive people. You're unable to forgive yourself if you're not willing to look at yourself. If you're not willing to look at yourself, you're not going to be able to see the world as it really is. Because it really wasn't so much that uh, Adam's eyes were opened. Because it was about a certain eye within, uh, 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 you know, E-I-E, eye in Adam was closed. His physical eyes were open to something. His emotional eyes were open to something. His egotistical eyes were open to something. But his spiritual eye to the tree of life was closed. He lost access to the tree of life. And the tree of life is going to help you see reality as it really is. You're not going to be judging what is good and evil. You're going to know what is good and evil. That's why Jesus talks about let him who has eyes to see, see, and him who has ears, hear. Well, how do you get those eyes that see and those ears that hear? So the image of reality that you draw in your mind is reality. Because if you don't see clearly, you're not going to see reality clearly. You're not going to see the truth. You're not going to know the truth when you see it. Because you don't have eyes to see. When Adam's eyes were open to his egotistical vanity. That he thought he could decide good and evil. His eyes were, his spiritual eyes were closed. He could no longer eat of the tree of life. So he wouldn't know God's opinion. That's what the tree of life is. It's the breath of God. It's the opinion of God. It's the understanding of God, which is true understanding. I have an opinion. You have an opinion. We talked about this a week or so ago. But God's opinion, by the definition of who God is, is reality. 
If you want to see reality, if you want to see the truth, if you want to know what's really going on, then you have to eat of the tree of life. If you want to eat of the tree of life, you have to stop eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Stop eating of the tree of vanity that you can figure it out. And and some of the evidence that you're not eating of the tree of life and are still eating of the tree of knowledge is that you think you're a slave today because of fraud. You think you're a slave today because someone usurped your rights. You think that you're a... I mean, one of the evidence also of the fact that you're you're not eating of the tree of life that you're still blind, you don't have eyes to see, is that you think you're actually free. But those of you who are waking up and realizing, wait a minute, I'm not actually free. Uh, what, what The labor I produce is not mine. The children I produce, somebody else tells me how to raise them and how to teach them and what what I can do and what I can't do. Yeah, it might be better in some countries that arrest you if you try to homeschool your kids. But uh, the fact is, is your your kids are not your kids. They're children of the state. This is why Jesus has called no man father upon the earth. Because at the time, Rome, the emperor, was becoming the father of the people. They were children of Rome. When the Pharisees said, we had no king but Caesar... They became children of Rome, not children of Yahweh. Oh, they still use the word Yahweh, but they weren't. We just had the festival here this week, uh, the Burning Bush Festival, and we 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 didn't try to make it a big deal. We were still working out some kinks, and uh, but we had some really great, 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 great people here, and we had some interaction, and we talked about that. You can listen to some of the uh, audios that we've released on that already, and we have some more coming out. We had somebody there who said, well, this can't be the Feast of Tabernacles. And of course, we didn't call it the Feast of Tabernacles. We didn't say it was. But it, but we also explained what the Feast of Tabernacles is really all about. I know lots of people have the Feast of Tabernacles. Or they try to. They try to do, you know, they read the Bible and they, you know, they'll they'll do certain things that were done at the Feast of Tabernacles and they'll be intense and all this stuff. And they say, oh, how do, when do we have it? And we, we count the moons and all this stuff. I mean, if everybody in Alaska was having the Feast of Tabernacles, they, they might find that difficult because they could be having, you know, snowstorms in the middle of the Tabernacles <laughs> if they go by the moons because the weather is different there than it is in Israel. It isn't the moons that makes it the Feast of Tabernacle. It's the function uh, that makes it the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, it's not the labels. It's not the words. It's not the costume that you wear. It's the precepts and principles. But if you unmoor uh, the, the pre- precepts and principles that they're trying to express in these words, then uh, you're going to miss the whole point. And that's what people do. They they get the the costume they get the uh, you know get their moons lined up and uh, uh, they they try to do it but they miss because they're eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil 
They don't understand the spirit. What what were they trying to accomplish by this? What was the function? What was the actual purpose of it? Well, let's go to everything. Go to church every week. Uh, go out and make disciples of men. That's one of the things we'll probably talk about in the next hour is what, what does it mean to be a disciple of men? And, uh, uh, I think we're sliding right into the next hour because I didn't hear a break at the first hour. So we, is that correct, Paul? Yeah. Okay, no station break. So we're, we're in the second hour. <laughs> but anyway, during this hour we'll talk a little bit about disciples. So let's go back, sum up, is that you need to see yourself before you can see God. But you can't see yourself without God. Because God is the only one who really knows you completely. So, it's a combination. It's like left foot, right foot. In order to get anywhere, you have to have each one. So, it's a step-by-step process. You have to take a look at yourself, then take a look at the world that God has created in your relationship with the world. Because you're not going to see God directly. But you can see the world that he creates. You also get to see the world that you create. Because you're made in the image of God. So what kind of children are you producing? What kind of friends are you gathering around you? What kind of uh, uh, government have you created? Have you created a government like the government of God? Uh, are you coveting your neighbor's goods in order to get benefits from the government? You send the government out to your neighbor to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. You want free education. You want free health care. You, 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 you want, you want, you want, you want, you want all these things. And so you look to the government to provide them. And the government only provides them by taking away from your neighbor. Or even taking away from the future of your neighbor. So they're taking away from your neighbor's children. And... Therefore, you're putting your neighbor into bondage to you so that you can have more stuff, so that you can be more comfortable. You are not doing what God wants you to do. You're doing contrary to the will of God. And therefore, you will go into bondage. Has nothing to do with fraud. Has uh, There may be some fraud out there, but that's not the moving force in our present state of the world it's covetousness it's sloth you're not taking back your responsibilities you're not doing what Jesus said you're not doing it the way Jesus said to do it you're not doing it the way Moses said to do it and this the more people are emphasizing you know where the moon is in preparation for the festival what outfits you have on. You know, how you set up your tents. Or if it's Pentecost, you, that's another. You have, they have, you know, you know, you have to kill the lamb and put the blood. Because Passover to Pentecost. You have to put the blood on and all these things. You're focusing on all that. You're focusing on appearance. You're, you're focusing on an image. That you've created. That these these uh metaphors are trying to tell you something and you're focusing on the metaphor rather than the message and so you're missing the whole thing so you will remain in bondage but you will have the delusion 
of being free and being righteous. See, that's one of the things you're supposed to be doing, seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It is not righteous to covet your neighbor's goods. I mean, I know people who go out and do all, jump through all these hoops that they create in their doctrines out of the scriptures, but they do it by unmooring the metaphor away. And then they, but if they need anything, they go to a system that exercises authority one over the other to get what they need. They go go to a government that is not a free form of government. We'll talk about that, what a free form of government looks like. So, and, and they will say that they're followers of Christ. Is there a difference between a disciple and a follower of Christ? A disciple of Christ and a follower of Christ? A seeker of the kingdom and a disciple and a follower of Christ are these different things? So anyway, a lot of uh, of our delusion and a lot one of the important things because of the fact that when we are thinking most people are thinking in words they're not thinking in concepts they attach the concept to the word after the fact and they do that with education you know they they're educated by public school they're educated by private school they're educated by the media they're educated by you know CNN or or Fox they have all these different sources, which is all knowledge coming in. And the tree of knowledge is there so that there is knowledge. That's fine. But how do you put value on it? You need to be eating of the tree of life. In order to eat of the tree of life, in order to get back to that garden where we have dominion, and you're eating of the tree of life, you have to see the truth about yourself. The problem is not the woman God gave you. The problem is not the fraud. The problem is not the usurpers. The problem is not Caesar. The problem is you. The problem begins with you. It's going to end with you. And we identify that problem in the scripture as unforgiveness and selfishness. You know, which is why Jesus says to forgive. If you don't forgive, neither will you be forgiven. You will, if you don't set others free, you will not be set free. If you want your freedom to come faster, you have to work at setting others free. You can't be slothful. You can't be slothful in taking care of yourself. So you have to go out and work and you have to be industrious and you, you know, you have to save, you have to sacrifice. Sacrifice is important too. In order to save, in order to take care of yourself. But now you really want to get on the fast act of freedom? Start thinking about taking care of others. Setting others free. Okay, so there are people out there who will not eat of the Parthenos. Remember those temples of Rome? One of them was the Parthenos. Uh, You have the... You know, Temple Saturn and Parthenos and Mineta and all these. And we've talked about the temples. And so if you've been following us, you understand that those temples were all government buildings. Providing government services. Mineta was minting coins. The Temple at Ephesus also minted coins. But that was the World Bank. So that had another set of coins that it was minting. Mineta would be where the, you know, Caesar had his coins minted. So they were putting money into circulation. And so anyway, you learn all about that. But what was going on in the Temple of Saturn? That's the Bureau of Vital Statistics. It had other deals. There was the tabularum too, where they kept records. 
And then you had Vestal Virgins making sure the records were kept and they couldn't be married because you didn't want somebody messing with those records because your inheritance was going to be tied up in those records. That's why your birth certificates were recorded at the Temple of Saturn. This was business. This was government. That's what these temples were. But the temple of God, I mean, where did, did, did the kingdom of God have birth certificates? Well, you wrote it down in your family. But then how would anybody else know? Do I have to go look at your family Bible to know when you were born? Well, no, their knowledge, they didn't build a stone temple. They were the temple. Uh, uh, during the festival, my son gave a little talk about you know, where I first began to discover that the golden calf, uh, and I was going to work with him and he's reading the, about the Peloponnesian Wars. And I suspected a lot of these things before because I eat of the tree of life, but I didn't have information that I could share with you to show you where you've gone wrong. So anyway, he's reading this and he's, he's, he's discovering things and he's telling me as we're going to work. And, uh, uh, He's pointing out that the golden statue in Athens was called the Reserve Fund. And they actually sawed off chunks of it from time to time to make coins in order to fight wars. Well, another way they had more coins coming into their treasury is they went out and loaned money to other city-states. One of the things they loaned money to other city-states for was to help pay for the building of a wall around those city-states so that they could ward off people when they came to attack and rob and steal and take them away, like in Sodom and Gomorrah. So they would go out and loan money to other city-states, and all these city-states would be paying them back plus interest. Well, they went to one city-state, and he named who it was, and uh, that city-state, uh, they pointed out, you have no walls, we can loan you some money to build those walls. And they said, we are our walls. The people were their walls. They were living walls. And of course, we're supposed to be living temples. So we're not supposed to build temples and keep all these records in there. We keep the records, but we put the value on the records because of the fact that we are our brother's keepers. We keep each other. We take care of one another. We don't do it through forced offerings. We do it through free will offerings. Because the form of government that the kingdom of God is, is a free form of government. If how much you pay into the government and who you pay to the government is not your choice, you are not free. That simple. If you are not making that choice, you are not free. So we're going to end up going full circle all the way back to the beginning when I was originally talking about. So what does that mean? Not free. So so if I get into a place where I get to make the choice of what I give into my free form of government or not, then I am free? Not necessarily. But you won't get there until you actually start becoming free. Okay. What am I talking about? Okay, there's two trees again. You got the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's full of your own vanity. You're going to decide for yourself. You're going to take what information you get, what you see with your eyes, what you hear with your ears, what you calculate up in your brain. You're going to make a decision as to what is right and wrong. You're going to be God. You're going to decide what your opinion will become the doctrine of the world. (laughs) The problem is the rest of the world has its own doctrine. 
They may not agree with you. So you'll have to accumulate all kinds of people, millions of people in an army in order to make everybody else agree with you. Because that's the problem with your image of God is that it keeps bumping into all those other images of God out there that are in the minds of everybody else. And uh, so your reality... You're, you're not an infinite creature, so your reality is going to bump into other people's reality, and there will be conflict. But if you, if your reality is depending upon the reality of God, if you're actually tapped into the understanding of God, then your reality may be in uniformity with the truth. And then when you see the world, you'll see the truth. But again, you can't see the truth about the world until you're willing to see the truth about yourself. Because that's where your blindness came from. That's where Adam's blindness came from. He didn't want to admit that he was eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because of his own desire to be God. To rule. And of course, that that error bloomed in Cain. And he not only desired to rule, he desired to rule over his brother to the point where he was violent against his brother. So this is what everybody out there in the world is doing. They want benefits by force. They want government to provide them with benefits and force their neighbor to contribute to their welfare. You have to stop that. You have to see that's wrong. We have to turn around and try to go another way where we take care of one another, not through force, but through love and charity and sacrifice. That's the message of Christ. You go jump through all the other hoops, go to church, go to a church that has a big screen TV and great sound system. It makes you feel good. It doesn't get you closer to God. It actually keeps you farther away from God. You want to go to God... You have to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. If you look at yourself and you find yourself not caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself, that is evidence that what you do because of that imagined belief in your head, what you do is evidence that you don't really love God. Because the New Testament tells you in the epistles after the crucifixion that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you're not keeping his commandments, if you're coveting your neighbor's goods, then you don't really love him. That's okay with me. You have predestined yourself by that choice. See, you don't really choose about everything that you face during the day. Those choices are already made for you because you made some fundamental choices. You chose not to see the truth about yourself. Not to see the fact that you're eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil every day when you go to church and decide what church to go to and decide, you know, that you are righteous. And see, I come along and I say, well, if you're righteous, why are you coveting your neighbor's goods to the agency of the governments that you have created for yourself? And according to the Bible, the scripture that you say you believe in, It's because you've already rejected God. You've already turned around and gone away from God, out of the presence of God. And you're trying to decide for yourself. The smarter you are, 
the richer you are with knowledge. And the richer you are, the harder it is to get into the kingdom of God. You have to set aside your personal genius and admit that you don't know. That you you don't know what value to put on the information you get. The only way you will really know is to eat of the tree of life. The only way to eat of the tree of life is to get back to the tree of life, to eat of the tree of life. And the only way to do that is to see yourself as you really are. You won't see yourself as you really are until you start forgiving others. Then you can forgive yourself. You have to forgive yourself for sinning against God. And so it, it's all a process. You can't you can't just take one element. But evidence of the fact that you're not eating of the tree of life, and there are still things going on all around you that you can't see. I like I was saying, I, I see people being deceived by other people. I see people being deceived by themselves, and uh, deceived of themselves. So they think they're righteous. They think they're good. They think they're God fearing. And they are actually manipulative con men. And other men get mixed up with them. And they can't see that they're getting mixed up with manipulative con men. Who will take them for everything they have until they are stone broke again. And they don't see that. They don't see that this woman is not doesn't really love them. But loves what they think they can get from you. Manipulate you. Maybe they're not marrying you. They make you think they're marrying you because you're a man. But they're actually marrying you because you're a mouse. And they think they can manipulate you. Now all women will test the metal of a man by their very nature. That's the way God made them. And they should do that. But the good woman is pleased when their husband rises up and becomes a man. Instead of just a male. The bad woman is is upset and disturbed if their husband starts to wake up and starts becoming a man. Oh, they feel attacked and, and, and threatened. Now, but we don't have to be name callers or accusers or anything. What we have to do is see ourselves as we really are. We have to go full circle on this uh, on this path. So in order to open up those spiritual eyes, in order to even have access to those spiritual eyes, what do you have to do? If you had to make a list, you know, people are going to celebrate tabernacles. They have their list and they go down. We've got to count the moons. We've got to wear the outfit. we got to have the, uh, you know, uh, the tabernacle area. we got to set up the tents in a certain way. And they're missing the spiritual messages. They don't get any of the spiritual messages. And after they're done with their festival, they haven't done any of the things that was actually the purpose of the festival to begin with. And this is what we see with the Pharisees. They weren't followers of Moses. They weren't disciples of Moses. They weren't uh, uh, worshiping Yahweh or Yadavah or Jehovah. They were worshiping an image of Jehovah that they created out of unmooring the metaphors from the principles that they were to stand for. So how do you, how do you become that disciple of Moses, that disciple of Christ, that follower of Christ? How do you do that? Well, again, forgive others. Forgive yourself. Be like the publican. 
you're foolish and in need of uh, of the of the uh, grace of God, the forgiveness and mercy of God. You're in need of that because you are ungrateful and unmerciful yourself. So what are we going to see when that's tr- that prayer is actually true and not just something that you voiced with your head bowed? It wasn't just something you said. Well, you're going to want to forgive others. You're not going to be blaming your pre- present state of bondage on others. It's not the government's fault. It's not Abraham Lincoln's fault. It's not FDR's fault. It's not Obama's fault. It's not Trump's fault. That's a, that's the big thing. Everybody wants to blame. Not everybody, but all the people that don't like Trump want to blame everything on Trump. And there was a certain amount of that when Obama, if it wasn't for that darn Obama in the White House. Well now it's, it isn't for that, uh, misogynistic, uh, whatever, like white supremacist Trump in the White House, you know, and they, I mean, there's a whole string of expletives that they use in relationship to Trump. You know, I, I saw just a couple minutes of the hearings, uh, for the, the, whoever's going to be the next apotheos of, uh, Washington, the, the next, uh, Supreme Court, uh, god of deciding what is good and evil. Uh, at the hearings, there were people jumping up and screaming. Seventy people were arrested the first day, or something like that. And the and somebody, one of the Democrats, said, uh, "This is democracy in action." Actually, that's not democracy in action. <laughs> that's just a bunch of rude people interrupting the proceedings. <laughs> uh, democracy isn't about screaming and yelling. It's about vote. But it often. Because you're in a democracy with selfish people, it's about 51% of the people taking away the rights of the other 49. Which is why almost everybody, all the people they call the founding fathers, were in opposition to democracy. They were not for democracy. Because they knew that democracies fail. Plutarch knew it. Polybius knew it. Benjamin Franklin knew it. Adams knew it. And they all said so. Democracies will, you know, people will eventually, once they realize they can vote benefits in for themselves at the expense of their neighbor, their natural selfishness, their unrepentant selfishness would justify doing that. So we need our social security. We need our Medicare. That's what they say. I don't, I don't need it. Uh, they, they need their social security. They need their Medicare. They need their welfare. They need their, they need their temples. To be providing them with the benefits of the of that world by taking away from their neighbor and in in every country today they're not just taking away from their neighbor they're taking away from their neighbor's children because they're putting their country farther and farther into debt. All this is not followers of Christ. this is all going the opposite way, so you're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is turning around. And going back and laying down your life daily for your fellow man to become the daily ministration of faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. And the way to do that, and the way Christ commanded to do that, is to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. I mentioned that to somebody. Somebody called me up 2.30 in the morning. They were in jail. They hadn't committed any crime or anything. Uh, they don't have a driver's license. And they don't have a driver's license because they don't use their social security number. 
But they weren't driving. They were in a car with somebody else who was driving. And that person was obeying all the laws except for the fact that his stickers had expired four days before. And like often happens, he didn't realize his stickers were expired. I've known people driving around for two years, didn't know their stickers were... There was a young girl who just didn't know. <laughs> she just kind of... She wasn't blonde, but she d- was acting as if she was blonde. And she never... She didn't know she had to renew her stickers. So she she also hadn't changed her oil on her car. But uh, she just didn't know. And we had to explain, well, no, you, you need to update that or you're going to get pulled over. Well, this guy was four days overdue. They ended up talking to the cop for an hour and they both got arrested. And they were both let go eventually. But early, you know, there, evidently one of their phone call was to me. Now, this guy knows he should be in the tens, hundreds of thousands. He should be in a congregation. Then he can call his minister. And then I don't get woke up every night when people get into trouble or they get sick or they have problems or whatever it is. But he tried to excuse that. He says, oh, no, Jesus was just talking about sitting down on the grass at that one particular time. Well, I've written a whole book. and He's read it. It looks like we're going to go to break here. Uh, I... He's read it that this is the way the entire early church was organized. We know it's the way early Israel was organized. We know it's the way almost every free government was organized. This is in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But he won't do it. But he wants to call me at 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so, anyway, we'll we'll finish this up when we come back. So, welcome back. So, like I said, I wrote the book, Thy Kingdom Come. It's free online. Uh, it shows you that... Uh, and we have all kinds of articles. Uh, it's the one place where Jesus commanded the people to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds of thousands to the tune of 5,000 people. It's what they were doing at Pentecost. It's what they do at Tabernacles is that they sit down in these uh, groups of ten and then they link those groups of ten together. Why are they doing all this is because once you have that network of people then you can begin the process of forgiving other people, sacrificing for the welfare of other people in faith, hope, and charity, actually putting your love for your neighbor into action, not what you say. You know, I love my neighbor, I say, but I don't want to do anything for him. Uh, you know, I love the poor guy who's beat up in the ditch, but I'm not going to stop and help take care of that guy in the ditch, like the Good Samaritan. Christ is pointing to these precepts all the time. But uh, but people aren't doing them. So there's nothing magical about sending down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But it's an opportunity that you can actually start laying down your life without jumping off a cliff for your fellow man. Actually loving your neighbor as yourself. Actually moving away from the slothful behavior of not taking care of one another. And we talked about the temples. The Parthenos, the the Temple of Mineta, the Temple of Ephesus. These are all government buildings providing social welfare, providing social welfare for the needy of society through forced offerings. While the, the Christians were forming a living temple through free will offerings in the hopes that others would be there to take care of them. So if you're not gathering in small intimate congregations where you can help one another, and then you're not gathering that small congregation 
with other small congregations. I say small in the sense of, you know, you don't know 500 people in your church. Uh, you may know of them, but you don't know them. You can only know about 10 people intimately. You know, maybe a dozen or more people you could know intimately. But you start getting into the hundreds and and you're going to be missing somebody. You're not going to know them. You're not going to have a clear picture of them. And uh, So this, you gather in the small group to know them, but then you want that group to be connected with another group or other groups that are doing the same thing. If you're not doing that, you're not seeking the kingdom. You're just seeking your local congregation. And so the your connection point to those other groups is your minister. This is 90% of his responsibility to you is to connect you with the other 90% of the congregation of a 100 families. So that's that his job is not to tell you what everything means. Everybody has that job. We should all be discussing what the Bible means, what pure religion is, uh why there's a tree of knowledge and a tree of life. Uh what that means, how that implement, what does it mean to seek the kingdom? We should all be concerned with that. We can all talk about that. And every one of us will have an opinion about that. But the purpose is to find out what the opinion of God is. Well, the opinion of Christ is that we needed to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And we needed to connect each of our groups of ten with nine other groups of ten so that we would be the hundreds. And we would do this in ranks of 50. If there were 5,000 people there, there'll be ranks of 50. In other words, 50 times 100 is 5,000. That's 5,000 families that gathered there. And that was probably one of the festivals. Either Pentecost or uh, Feast of Tabernacles. But they don't even make reference to the name of why they were all there. But they certainly are showing us what they were all doing. And they they all shared what they had so that there was actually a surplus. And we see the early church doing this in 150 A.D. when there were these dearths. We see Paul implementing that with Barnabas when there was a shortage in one part of the kingdom. They knew where to take what they needed to take to help the other part of the kingdom. And because they were actually willing to take the time to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, they were able to help one another. We have hundreds of families across the United States and in Australia, and there are even some growing in Europe. But if you want to really move towards the kingdom of God, the right to be ruled by God, that free form of government, you can't make everybody else do it. You're not going to do it by vote. The majority are not going to go this way. The majority will self-destruct, yelling and throwing their temper tantrums. Uh, you know, right now, one party is in power, but that could swing the other way. And then that crazy party screaming and yelling and yelling obscenities and dressing up with pink hats and, and bizarre outfits and everything. They may take over and then they're going to take the whole world and they're down their rivers and eddies of destruction. But the the conservatives aren't really much better. They're not seeing the truth about other things. 
And so corruption is still growing underneath and eating away. The only thing you can do is to turn around and repent. You need to look at yourself. Look at your relationships with the rest of the world. Are they covetous relationships? Or are they like those guys who say, we do not eat at the Parthenos. We do not take of their benefits. But they also are foolish virgins. They don't sit down to tens, hundreds, and thousands. So the and you will often find this amongst the people who want to blame the government or their status or the, the present state of things on the government, on FDR, on UCCs or, you know, this particular individual who called me up in the middle of the night, all of a sudden I find out he's, he's following this, uh, Judge Von Reitz, uh, lady, she goes by all kinds of different names. I'm not, I'm not sure I got that name quite right. We have an article up on her, and they're all kind of the same thing, but they've you know they change them and everything. But the 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 basic premise is that well, I'm not even going to go. You have to go read the article. The reality is is they're just blaming that they're in, in her whole philosophy. There is nothing about the fact that. We have been covetous of our neighbor's goods. And our parents have been covetous. And our parents have been slothful. And we have been slothful in the ways of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's not fraud. It's not somebody has usurped. It's not that they have strayed from the principles of the Constitution of the United States. It's the fact that you have strayed from the principles of righteousness. The righteousness of God, of the love of neighbor, of willing to take the time to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and find out how we can help one another. How you can home school, home health, home industry, get your own businesses going. I mean, there's no end to it. You can create an entire economy and it's absolutely legal right now in the world. Even if you have to get the number in the country that you live, even if you have to send your kids to uh, uh, school, a regular school. I mean, what that particular country, they have lots of private schools. The, the one I was talking about. One of them is the Waldorf schools. And Waldorf schools uh, are based on parental involvement. And there's a lot of good theories about the Waldorf schools. And uh, we can tell you all about that. Homeschooling groups should look at some of their practices as well as a lot of the other curriculums that are out there. And you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But uh, one of the things about the Waller schools is it heavily dependent upon parental involvement. But as soon as the government started financing the Waldorf schools, they said, oh, well, we'll help you out with government assistance. As soon as they started giving them extra money to help them out, guess what happened? Parental involvement began to drop. The parental involvement in the education of their children began to drop. So the thing is, is that if you structure the way in which you actually relate to one another and understand the principles of those structures, you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you gather those, each ten gathers with another group of nine tens, and then they are linked together, you will all have ministers 
that you pick, not for the reasons that most of the churches out there are picking ministers, not because they tickle your ears, but because you see them as genuinely men of service, men who care about others as much as they care about themselves, men who are actually striving and seeking the kingdom in different capacities, different ways, but they're starting that direction. They're not going to be perfect at it, but they're they're willing to go the extra 10 feet, the extra mile to pursue it, not only for themselves, but for you. Well, as soon as you sit down in those tens and, 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 and just in your personal testimony are actually doing this so that we know it, we will recognize that minister and he can come on the minister calls uh, that we have connecting people all over on Monday. What are we going to talk about this week on that? Well, several topics have come up. And, but I'm not telling you on the radio. You can just ask your minister. But if you won't sit down in the tens, you don't have a minister who will be at the call that you can ask. And so you're not going to find out what we're going to talk about. I've, I've jotted down a few things. I've talked to some of the ministers about some things that we ought to talk about. And those are the things that go on behind the scenes for those people who are willing to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. I am sure... That at that meeting where Jesus was at, everybody would not sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Well, guess what? If you didn't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you didn't get no loaves and fishes. Because you had to do that first. That's the way Christ commanded. And so maybe this afternoon we'll talk a little bit about what a disciple is. Because... You know, it's the same word translated in disciple everywhere in the New Testament. The word disciple only shows up like once in the Old Testament. And uh, and it's often translated something other than disciple. But they actually mean about the same thing. A disciple is someone that Christ is teaching. And he was clearly teaching the apostles things that he was not teaching the people that just came around. And that's... The disciple is a student, student minister. He was going to appoint the kingdom to his disciples. He wasn't going to appoint the kingdom to everybody who just came around and gathered in free assemblies. But the kingdom of God is the right to be ruled by God. If you want your spiritual eyes opened, you have to admit you've got a problem. You have to admit that you are, your ego is not going to figure out the truth. Your intellect is not going to figure out the truth. In order to get back there, you have to go back the way that Cain went away, the way that Lamech went away, the way that David went away, the way the people of Israel went away when they elected Saul. And you have to go back the other way. So you have to sit down in this group and start caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. That's not going to get you in. You're not going to get into the kingdom by your works. But you're going to see yourself clear. You're going to see your relationships clear. You know, it's not about feeling good. It's about doing good. Because in doing good, you'll see how you're not as good as you thought you were. And then you can say the prayer of the publican. Because you know that you're a sinner. You know that you need mercy. And then God will begin to open your eyes. But if you're going to be a foolish virgin, you're going to be left outside, knocking and not let in. If you're following any kind of philosophy that is blaming everything on everybody else, then you're not going to get it. You have to start seeing where you fell short, where you failed, 
where you were confused, where you didn't see clearly, where you went down the wrong way. And then you have to care about your neighbor seeing the truth that you're seeing as much as you see it yourself. That doesn't mean going out and badgering him with all the new things that you've discovered. It's a, you, cause you have to let him wake up too. If you decide to be egotistical and blame things on other people, other systems, other, you know, generations, everything is everybody else's fault. You are predestined to fail. If you decide to see the truth about yourself and admit that you can't do it on your own. You can't figure it out on your own. You cannot change yourself or pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And you come with a humble heart willing to lay down your life, to lay down your ego, to lay down yourself daily in service to others in hopes that they will see what you're beginning to see then your eyes will be opened and then you will see and you will be graced by God. But what that will look like, it will look like people who sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, who actually give some part of themselves in some form or another on a regular basis. Just like your heart beats on a regular basis, you have to give on a regular basis. You have to give to others. Because God gave to you freely, you have to give to others freely. This brings you closer to God. This will open your eyes. This will allow His light to shine in your heart. And then you will see more about yourself. You will have more revelation about your own weaknesses. The more you see that, the more God will open your eyes automatically. Because it takes place at the same time. So you can see the problems of the world. And you can, you won't be predestined to destruction. You will begin to become predestined to salvation. And you will begin to see when you have to do this or when you have to do that, when you have to turn to the left, when you have to turn to the right, when you have to go and seek shelter, or when you have to go out into the world. You'll know these things, not because you figured it out, but because there will be light coming through you. And you know what that light does? It scares evil. So evil people come around who look really good. You know, they know how to look good like an angel of light. They know how to put on the makeup. They know how to put on the outfits. They look really good. They will not look so good and they will actually be afraid of you. They will stay away. And the more you bring light into your gatherings, by bringing light into your own heart... The more you forgive one another, the more you become incompatible with those people who are not living of forgiveness, who are living of ego, who are living of force, who are living, uh, willing to sacrifice their neighbor for what they want. The more you will become incompatible with them and the more they will want to leave. Now hopefully, our hope is that what they will do is begin to see the truth and they will let evil leave them. And they will turn around and walk with us. That's our hope. But you want to, you want to find that perfect congregation, you have to become perfect yourself. And you can't make yourself perfect with your own knowledge. You are perfected in Christ when Christ's light shines in you and Christ's light will not shine in, 
in you unless you walk in the ways of Christ. Jesus said, come follow me. To his disciples. That's something we see repeated over and over again. And then he gave them special instructions. He had already told the the Pharisees, I'm going to take the kingdom from you. And I'm going to appoint it to others. He says, I'm going to appoint it to my little flock. And then he eventually appoints it to them. And he says, not to be like the governments of the Gentiles. Who exercise authority one over the other. Yet all these people go to church thinking they're getting closer to Christ. That they're, and some of them have a little bit. But if they're really getting closer to Christ, they should be able to get the rest of the message. And the rest of the message is, is that you have to stop coveting your neighbors because to the agency of government, you have to sit down in uh, a network that can provide a daily administration, not through the force of the governments of the world, but through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. And if you are really awakening, the problem is that people are willing to awaken to this, and they see that. Great. And I see them awaken to this, and I think that is great. But all of a sudden it comes to something that they have to also see the sin in their own heart, their own anger, their own resentment, their own unforgiveness, their own selfishness, their own fear, because anger and fear are the same thing. And when you start seeing that, it becomes uncomfortable, and they don't want that anymore. So they reject everything. They And what happens is they actually backslide. And they will not see the con man in their midst. They will have no protection against the con man in their midst. They have no protection against the thief or the murderer in their midst. They have no uh, protection uh, uh, the Jezebels of the world. They, they, they will have no protection and they will be eaten up and devoured and spit out. You have to see yourself to see others. You have to forgive yourself to forgive others. You have to forgive God. Stop blaming your situation on God. That's what the atheist often does. Is he, you know, uh, he blames everything on this belief in God. But then all you have to do is explain the definition of pure religion. Because see, they're all, every one of the guys, I hardly know an atheist that isn't enmeshed. Although I've come across that, that aren't enmeshed in public religion, civil religion. You know, they're all registered down at the Temple of Saturn so that they can get benefits. Now there's some that aren't, so I, I, that's why I corrected and said it's not all. So anyway, if you want to know what we're going to talk about on the minister's call, you need to have a minister. If you have a minister, you'll get to ask him that. So heads up to the minister. You better show up on the minister's call because your congregants may ask you, what did you guys talk about? <laughs> and you'll say, ah, I don't know. I, I always forget to come on the call. <laughs> so I'm, this way I can put pressure on you without exercising any authority. When you become a minister of a congregation, you're a servant of that congregation by default. You're actually a servant of Christ. You want to do right according to the will of God by that congregation. But your mission is to seek the kingdom and you're part of that connecting points of seeking the kingdom. And you got to get soldered in. And it takes a little heat sometimes to get you soldered in right. So I'm raising the heat level a little bit. Congregants, hold your ministers accountable. 
Are they connecting? Are they developing a relationship with the other ministers? Are they connecting you with all the other people that they come across that say they're seeking the kingdom? Because you're going to need that. When times are hard, how are you going to get, you know, uh, when you run into problems, when you run into, you know, legal issues, health issues, uh, business issues, economic issues, uh, family issues, who are you going to go to? Well, you want to go to people who are successful in all these areas. And people who care about you as much as they care about themselves. You know, if if you have a problem, they, they're looking for a solution. I, I, I saw that with some people immediately at the festival. Some people were always volunteering and helping and, and concerned about other people. And so that's what we do is we, in the congregations, we, we, we offer tasks. Okay, we want to accomplish this. Here's a task. Here's a mission. You know, become a trustee. Be, do this, do that, whatever. It's all voluntary. But I know that when you lay down your life for your fellow man, no greater love have you. If you want to be loved by God, you want God's grace, you have to extend grace to others. You have to extend love to others. You have to extend forgiveness to others. It says, if you don't forgive, neither will I... Uh, my father forgive you. If you don't give, why do you, would you expect God to give to you? If you don't serve others, why would you think Christ came to serve you? Why do you think you're part of the us that Paul keeps talking about when you have no daily ministration except the men who exercise authority one over the other? Everybody has gone away from the ways of the kingdom. And they have imagined that they have the doctrine of Jesus Christ, yet they're not doing what Christ commanded. Which, you know, even if you didn't know Christ commanded, this 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 is the ultimate survival tool. It's not to gather together with ten other men who want to survive above all else. It's to gather with other men who care about their neighbor as much as they care about themselves. That is the motivating factor for them to come together. Not just their little goopy group congregation, but all the other congregations they don't even know. They're casting their bread upon the waters in hopes that it comes back to them. And they are putting into motion a spiritual power. They are, you know, like connecting on the switchboard of God. Because they are connecting with one another. We're made in the image of God. If you want God to care about you, you must care about others. And that's this gets into the itemized requirements for the disciples of Christ which we don't have time to go into right now but uh, maybe this afternoon show or next week we will join the network and we will share that information with you till then peace on your house and may God be with you You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640.
1-800-273-7840. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.